Well, good morning, and uh, hopefully some big news that y'all are relatively excited about as we make our way into Christmas. I know I'm excited to have some semblance of gathering, uh, again, not with all of us able to do so, but with uh, some of us that are able to, able to uh, abide by the rules, like Lorenzo mentioned, uh, to have some kind of uh, physical gathering, being in the same space together um, as we uh, remember uh, what Christmas is all about. But that uh, remembering of what Christmas is all about is not just for uh, next week, it is also for today, as we are in our third week of our Christmas in Exile series. And what we've been doing over the past three weeks, just a reminder, and kind of uh, for those of you that maybe are more new than others, is we've been building up an anticipation for Christmas by looking back at these writings from 700 years before Jesus from the prophet Isaiah, writing these letters of, of hope and love, this message of peace and, uh, and um, a joy to God's people as they found themselves in exile. This idea of them being in exile there in Assyria was a, a moment in their collective history of experiencing a sort of trauma after being violently uprooted from their lives, undergoing political chaos, violence, confusion, fear, anxiety, and even death. The prophet Isaiah summarizes the way that these people felt, what exile feels like multiple times in his book. He uh, identifies the people as feeling lost, as feeling plundered and looted, as trapped and hidden from God, forsaken, forgotten, and rejected by God. This are, these are the feelings of exile feeling lost, feeling hidden from God, even forsaken or forgotten or outright rejected by God. As I've said over the past eight months, uh, coming into December now, 2020 has been an exile year. We have experienced in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, the loss for some of us of loved ones, the loss of work, of jobs, for all of us, a loss of normalcy. For uh, 280,000 Americans, the loss of their lives. And even then, those that have survived going with, in many cases, ongoing brutal symptoms. And if the COVID-19 pandemic were not enough, we've witnessed horrible acts of racial injustice, often at the hands of those entrusted with justice by the state. We have seen and weathered one of the most divisive election years in our history. And in the uh, wake of that, seeing this ongoing uh, crisis of uh, a Christian nationalism and idolatry within uh, our country. And all of this uh, division and fraction leading to what we continue to see is, is uh, not only protests, but then even violence with four uh, stabbings in DC uh, just this morning or, or last night. We've been seeing and experiencing all of this confusion and political chaos and all of this. And the strange thing has been that all the while we've been trapped at home. We've been struggling with what we've been seeing on our screens while struggling with loneliness, while working through the challenges of our marriages and our families. All of us pushed at some point or another to our breaking point and even for some beyond their breaking point. This has been an exile year. As Amy Canavello, she's a social psychologist at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte writes, a very typical response to trauma, what we're experiencing here in 2020, is to feel like your worldview has been completely ripped apart. The sense through which you see the world and make sense of it gets broken. And you're not the same person that you were before. 2020 has been a ripping apart of our worldview. And it has led for many of us to experience some of those same feelings and emotions as Israel's exiles of lost and forsaken and forgotten. 
The love of God, which for many of us was our whole life's foundation, has been rocked and challenged. Rocked and challenged. We find ourselves with feelings that God is distant from us or distant from me in particular, that God is unconcerned or forgotten or fed up or disappointed or forsaken and given up on us. That maybe God is not distant, but God is disappointed with me. He's angry with the exhaustion and anxiety and the doubts that I, the fact that I'm not some kind of superhero making it through 2020 and I'm not this, this bastion of faith and goodness and peace and the fact that I, that maybe God is actually kind of disappointed with me. For some of us, the darkness of this year has led us to believe or at least to entertain thoughts that God doesn't exist or if he does, that he's powerless in the face of pandemics and injustice, or even worse, that maybe God is evil. Today, today we're looking at God's response to exiles, to you and me, those of us who feel forsaken and forgotten and even rejected at times from God, that are working through all of these thoughts and fears as we come to a close in this calendar year. So, Today, as we look to Isaiah chapter 40, my hope and my prayer is that for those of you that feel distant from God, that have a hard time discerning and hearing his voice, that you feel like your, your spiritual practices and disciplines and your, your do-goodism and being a good Christian, you just haven't been able to keep up with it and you feel like you're at a breaking point, my prayer is that today Isaiah 40 may come like a megaphone, like a tender, comforting megaphone to your tired and vulnerable soul. And so as always, Jenny has posted the notes there in the chat. Without further ado, let's look to Isaiah 40. We're going to look at a couple of big subsets within the larger chapter today. And so we're going to kind of jump, you'll see that. And then I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll begin to reflect on what this means. And so Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned or forgiven, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse three, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, in the desert make straight a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and rough places like a plain. And on that day, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall behold it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then jumping to verse 10. So behold, behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young, the most vulnerable. So then why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way or my, my life is hidden from the Lord and my right or my justice is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In fact, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who hope or wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. 
Lord, today may we hear and receive at a deep level the words of your son Jesus as he uh, opened his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God, would you comfort us today? Would you speak to the deep needs and hurts, the sufferings and the sins of our hearts, the word that we need to hear most? Father, I pray that I would heed the words given here to Isaiah, that I would bring a message of comfort, comfort. May I speak tenderly. And together, may we remember and reflect on the great love and compassion that you have for us. In name we pray, amen. And so Isaiah 40 is God's word to exhausted, anxious exiles. And God's word to you and to me today is not, I told you so. It is not, you think this is bad. This could be so much worse. Let me tell you all about the people, however many decades or generations beforehand. God's word to exhausted and anxious people is not quit whining. I'm not sure your relationship with your parents growing up, but the odds are that you read and I read into God how our parents treated us in the midst of our tears as children. Were your parents quick to say, I told you so? Were they quick to compare your suffering to that of others? Were they quick to tell you to quit whining? This is not, this is not the word that God has for anxious and exhausted exiles. But God's word is Isaiah 40 verse one, comfort, comfort. As God says a few chapters later in chapter 66, verse 13, that this comfort, comfort is as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. To those exhausted, to those of you that are anxious, those of you that are depressed and confused and you can't seem to find your way through this year, I don't know if I can keep this up. Those of you suffering, nine chapters later, you feel like this, Isaiah 49, you say, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. God replies, can a mother forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You see, your suffering, your experience within this exile year is not a sign that God has forsaken or forgotten you. The reality is underneath that, regardless of your experience, God unbreakably, unforgettably, compassionately loves you. He compares the love that he has to you to the strongest biological connection of love that we know of, that of a, a tender mother's love for her newborn. That in nursing has all of these biological connections that God has wired with oxytocin, this cuddle drug that, that links the mother and the child so deeply together that they cannot forget one another. And yet even in the situation in case where some mothers may forget their child, God says, even when the most strongest case of human love can be broken, my love, I will not forget you. God's word is not, I told you so. It is not get your act together. It's not, you did this to yourself. It is Comfort, comfort, I have not, I cannot forget you. But what is the content of this message, this tender love, this comfort, comfort, this double comfort, as we might refer to it, a double comfort. In verse, the second part of verse two, we saw that it's, that it's this, that the warfare, their exile way of saying is ended, their iniquity or their sin is pardoned. 
See, though God does not ignore iniquity or sin, which I've more and more been referring to as simply summarizing all sin as either idolatry or injustice. God does not turn a blind eye to these things. That would not be love. But because of his great love, God's desire is not to leave us in our sin or its consequences, the warfare or, or exile language there in verse two. But God in his love will bring us back to himself by pardoning or, or forgiving the sin that distances us from him and in distancing us from him, distances us from life. And all of this is, is not just some kind of blanket kind of forgiveness of a blank slate, but it's a, a what at the end of verse two, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This double for all her sins is not double the punishment, but an abundant, shocking, gracious, double forgiveness. And so the double comfort of verse one, the comfort comfort is the message of double forgiveness in verse two. And more than a blank slate, more than just a fresh start, more than a do over. This is a renewed life of comforting, a relationship that's been restored with God. Isaiah 40 makes clear that though you and I, all of us are in verse one, we see sufferers from the sin of ourselves on us, from the sins that others do to us and just suffers from living within a sinful and broken world. And though in verse two, we are sinners bringing suffering on ourselves, on others and on the world. Neither of these two realities that you are a sufferer or a sinner can separate you from the comforting, forgiving love of God. How is this double forgiveness accomplished? Where does this double comfort come from? Nowhere here does Isaiah 40 mention sacrifice or religious deeds or you getting your stuff together so that you can get that double forgiveness. Are you trying really hard to do better next time? We don't hear any of that. What do we hear in verses three and five? A voice cries, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert. The double comfort, the double forgiveness for sufferers and sinners will come through God's arrival to us in our exile, in our wilderness, in our suffering. Isaiah reflects that God himself will come and be revealed to all flesh, all humanity in his glory, a way of saying God's personal presence will come to you. God is not going to leave you and I where we are. He will not leave his exiles uh, to love them at a distance or to forgive them from afar, but will join them in the dust, in the muck, in the discomfort of exile. In verse three and four, we find that God is relentless in this mission. Nothing will stop him. He is going to be on this highway through mountains and valleys and hills and uneven land and nothing can stop him from coming. In effect, Isaiah speaking on behalf of God says, listen, baby, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. You didn't know Marvin Gaye wrote that hymn. It's not a hymn. In effect, God is saying, I, there is nothing, I mean, I, this is, this is the th stuff. And the reality is, is that a week like love, this isn't even my notes, I'm going on a tangent now, is the fact that we like read over this and assume this sort of love. That right now, that some, for some reason, the hope week, the joy week, you're looking forward to peace next week. And the love week is the one that, you know, we just kind of roll our eyes out because it's so assumed. God says, not thousands of miles, but the hundreds of miles between Jerusalem and Assyria will separate me. 
The reality is you think some sin, some addiction, some failure, some doubt, some pandemic, some past, some present, some future can separate you from God. God says all of those things will be laid flat on my highway. I am coming to you. See, all of our modern talk about coming to God and finding God is ab it's absolutely alien to Isaiah. For Isaiah, the vision of scripture, the vision of your hope is not you finding God, not you coming to God, but the reality that God is coming to find you, that God has come to you. You do not go and find him. You do not go and pursue him. The whole point of the story is that you don't do that. This is why he has to come to us because we're sinners and sufferers. We cannot find our way out of this wilderness, but God, like a highway will come to us. This is, this is this incredible word of the God's deep love that he could obviously just kind of, you know, nuke earth. We'll start over with earth too and try over. And the fact is he's so committed to you. He could just wipe you off and we'll just start again with like a Ryan version too. Maybe this one will be better, but he works with you. He's committed to you. He's delighting in you. Like a mother, he has not forgotten you. And so he's going to come to you, verse three and five says, but what's it gonna be like when the personal presence of God shows up? When that glory of the Lord, as Isaiah puts it, is beheld by all flesh. Verses 10 through 11, we jump down. Because the double comfort and the double forgiveness is followed in verse 10 by a double beholding, a double seeing. This here he comes. Isaiah prophesied, he's coming to us. And here in verse 10, it's like God is finally arriving. He's made his trip through the desert and now he's here with us. And what is he described as? This majestic might, this majestic power, his royal rule, his royal riches, his reward, his royal justice, his recompense. It is the, the divine power like all other, the thing that makes you quake and fall on the ground in fear. But how does God exercise this power? Verse 11, it tells us, as a gentle shepherd, carrying vulnerable lambs, gently leading the weakest of his sheep. Isaiah reminds us of Psalm 23, what we began with this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside. This was Isaiah's reminding Israel, you've heard this Psalm over and over again. It's still true. He has not left you out in the wilderness. He is coming and like a good shepherd, he will lead you home. More than just reminding him, he's setting exile's hope that the Lord is your shepherd. Isaiah's not alone. He's not the only prophet to do this. One of my favorite passages in the prophets is Ezekiel 34, where Ezekiel joins Isaiah in referring to the Lord as a arriving and coming shepherd. Ezekiel writing in the words of God says, I myself will be the shepherd. This is God. I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down in green pastures, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Do you feel lost? Do you feel strayed? Do you feel injured? Do you feel weak? The Lord is your shepherd. But there's a paradox in Ezekiel 34, isn't there? In the opening line, we read that God says, the Lord God says, I myself will be the shepherd. But then at the end, he says, I will set up one shepherd, my servant, David. 
This paradox is that the Lord will come as shepherd and yet the shepherd will be his servant, David. How do these two come together of one who is both God and human? This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus, as he said in John chapter 10, I am that good shepherd. I am the one who has come to strengthen. I'm the one who's come to heal. I'm the one who's come to bind up and to carry the most vulnerable. Jesus is the glory of God that has come to shepherd us home. And even back at that preparing the way of the Lord just a moment ago, if that, if that jolted you with some kind of, I've heard this before, if you've been with us back to Mark 1.1, this is what Mark's gospel opens up with is Isaiah 40. With John the Baptist as the true voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. Jesus is the glory of God that has come to shepherd us, to come give us double forgiveness and double comfort in the midst of our exhaustion. But what does all of this mean? Verses 27 through 31, where Isaiah draws to a close where we began. Our feelings of being forsaken and forgotten by God. In verse 27, you saw it there, or what is it? Yes, 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, or speak, O Israel? Why do you say God's people? Why do you speak this way? Why do you think this way? Why do you see the world this way? That your life is hidden from God and your justice has been disregarded by. Why do you think this way? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Don't you remember? He says, the Lord is everlasting. There's no time too distant. He says he is the creator of the ends of the earth. There's no place too far. He doesn't faint or grow weary. There's no obstacle too big. His understanding is unsearchable. There's no problem too vexing. For exhausted exiles, don't fall for the lie that your weariness and your exhaustion are indicative of God's. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. There are distances that are far too great for me to travel. There are things that are far too big for me to fathom and think through. I get tired. I get weary. There are things that confuse me, things I can't figure out. I have a limited time span. And so often I need to remember, you and I need to remember that God is not limited to these things in these ways, that he is supreme, that in the midst of our difficult year, that he in one sense is doing just fine. And yet, don't think this means that God is unaffected by your fainting, by your weariness, of either your weariness, your fainting, or the world's. Isaiah 63, nine says, through all that they suffered, he being God suffered too. The messenger sent from his very presence delivered them. In his love and mercy, he protected them. He lifted them up and carried them. You see, God is a compassionate God in, this, in the, the words full and truest sense, compassionate, literally suffering with another. God is not one that is okay with sitting at a distance and loving you in the midst of your suffering, but it is unaffecting to him because he is compassionate, because he is loving like a mother or like a father, the way he feels when you suffer, when this world is broken is turmoil and suffering within his own self. The story of Christmas is that this God, this compassionate God, the one who does not faint or grow weary, became a human in Jesus. And in so doing, the God who doesn't faint or grow weary became a human who does. He knows your tiredness. He knows your exhaustion. He knows the rejection that maybe you've had from friends or family members. He knows looking at all the political chaos of the world and wondering how it's, maybe not wondering, but 
but seeing all of its implications and all of the ways that it's falling apart. As Hebrew puts it, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But God, more than just being compassionate, severing with us, we also find in the story of Christmas that God is not just compassionate, but also gracious in the words full sense, not just suffering with another, but suffering for another. In a few chapters in Isaiah 53, Isaiah remarks on this coming servant of David, this one who would be the glory of God revealed, the one coming from the line of David, the one who would somehow both be God and man coming to us. All of this comes together in Isaiah, where in Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our griefs, borne our sorrows. With his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus bore our suffering and sins on his cross so that we might be doubly comforted, doubly forgiven. Another way of putting this is as Isaiah puts it in verse 28. The God who does not faint or grow weary gave up his own power for the faint and weary, you and me, so that we may not grow weary or faint any longer. Or as John 3.16 puts it, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What more is death than the ultimate faint and growing weary, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus is the glory of God revealed in the wilderness to us. He is God coming to us in our exile suffering. He is the true messenger sent from God's very presence. It is from the hand of the Lord, verse two, with your name engraved upon it. And at the same time, nailed to a cross where we are comforted in his love and forgiven in his grace. And more than that, where we are gently carried in his wounded yet resurrected shepherd arms, able to joyfully walk and run and to take up wings like eagles. This sort of transformation that can only come from the love of God and in a reality that no matter what my circumstances may be, I have a God who is for me and on my side and that he is working in the midst of the brokenness of this world. And in fact, using me as part of that because he's committed to this world. He's committed to me. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us. He is working with us sinners and sufferers that we may be to put this world to rights. And so this revival of strength is for those who, as we see at the end in verse 29, wait or hope in the Lord as can be translated. And here in the last verse, the previous two weeks all come together. Christmas is an invitation to hope in God based on the compassionate love of God, which is embodied as a renewal of our strength or what we could call the joy of the Lord, the joy of God. The message of Isaiah, of hope, of joy, of love, this is the message to exiles. This is our Christmas in exile. This is how we can truly celebrate and remember in the midst of this year. That as we look at the injustice, as we look at the death, as we look at the confusion, as we look at the idolatry, as we look out into the world and we look within and see the darkness of it all, that we see a God who is not scared or put off by the things that we are most scared or put off of within ourselves or in this world, but, but regardless is committed to us, delights in us and wants to comfort you today in his love. He has not given up on you. He has not given up on this world. This is the message of Isaiah. The hope, love, and joy of God. As we close, two years ago, 
pastor and, and one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, passed away at the age of 85. If you've ever read uh, the message kind of paraphrase or translation version of the Bible, the message, which I quote from a bunch, but uh, that was his, his doing, spending a good portion of his life while pastoring to putting scripture into like very plain English for folks. Uh, he wrote on what it means to be a pastor. He wrote on what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Run with horses is, is like one of it. Anyway, during the memorial for Eugene Peterson, uh, friends and family members all spent time reflecting on the man, this, this pastor, this father, this husband. And none of them left a, a shocking impact on me and, and many others, like the words from his son, Leif. He got up behind the kind of pulpit there at the memorial and looked at the crowd and said, it's almost laughable how you fooled them all. How for 30 years, every week, you made them think you were saying something new. They thought you were some kind of magician. And they didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. This making one thing feel new every single week. But I knew your secret, he said. For 50 years, you'd steal into my room at night and whispered softly to my sleeping head that same message over and over again. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That magic yet simple message Eugene spent his life preaching over and over again, albeit maybe feeling different or from a different text or in the midst of different circumstances was Eugene's message and it was the message of Isaiah. Both of their messages, because it's the message of the entirety of scripture. It's the message of Jesus. It's the message of Christmas. God loves you. He is on your side. He's coming after you. He's coming for you and he's relentless. Let's pray.